Welcome to the Delipot with me, James Delipot. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but this one has been a long time coming. He's an old, old mate of mine and he's he's amazingly successful. Uh, it gets more successful every year. I'm, I'm just I'm gobsmacked by his success. And also he's a man so sound. He makes me look like Owen Jones. Donald Blaney, welcome, welcome to the podcast. I, I got well. Your secretary very kindly provided me with a with some blurb about you because actually, you know, it's really quite hard introducing people sometimes, and I, I never know what to say. And some of this is quite good. Uh, Donald Blaney, Blaney, former leader of the Tory Madrasa. Uh, Young Britain's Foundation, one-time godfather of young conservatives and founder of Griffin Law, which is a very successful law firm, described as the Rottweiler of the right by Isabel Oakeshott. And this is my favourite, the man who puts the cunt into contentious litigation. <laughs> but who said that, Don? That's really good. I mean, you must be proud of that one. That, that was one of my clients who also said, um, could you send one of your horrible letters, uh, one of your bowel openers um, to someone? So um, you do have this quality. Um, if if, if I, I met you and didn't know what you did, I'd think you were so gentle and, and mild mannered. But I would so hate to be in any any litigation against you. I mean, it'd be a nightmare. I, I can imagine that you'd, you're quite brutal, aren't you? Um, I'm, yeah, I, I'd say I'm on the aggressive end of the profession, but that's, uh, I think, what people want from a lawyer. You don't go, you don't go and see a lawyer because you want someone to pussyfoot around something. If you're involved in a fight, you want someone to come in on your behalf and punch for you. Yeah, if you want a great white shark, you don't want a pathetic shark, do you? Right, exactly. They're called great white for a reason. They're not called feeble white sharks. I'm probably not allowed yeah, to yeah. And, at all anymore. No. You, you're, you're free to say what you want on this this podcast. Now, hang on. What else uh, we say about you? Um, oh, yeah, that's the boring bit. Oh, yeah. Donald divides his time between Florida and England. That's your that's your house behind it behind you, isn't it, Donald? Uh, yeah, that's that's it's, the view. That's the view from the back of the house. Um, I, unfortunately, I'm not there, but I decided to put it on as a, as background. Uh, I'm actually in the office um, in England at the moment, uh, desperately wishing I was. Go, Joe's. Actually, show us where, where you really are, because this is quite the, like the contrast between taking the blue pill and taking taking the red pill in, in, in the Matrix. So that's the yeah, that's the red pill. That's where you actually are. <laughs> that's that's the pool. And that's the sort of view down the dock. Yeah, I not everyone's going to be watching this because some people prefer to, to, to um, digest this, this show. Um, uh, what was the word? My brain's gone because. Uh, without pictures let's say um but i've been i've been getting complaints on my on my youtube channel from people saying why is your video quality so bad and and why have you got the don't you understand that you you can't have a, a a bright background behind you because that makes your face appear dark all i was trying to do you whiny people was give you a nice view of my garden and occasionally you get the black cat appearing in the background and it's quite entertaining but all right fair enough i'm going to give you a boring white wall now as kind of punishment so you can see my face do you really want to see my face i don't think so i don't think i'm that exciting to look at i think the background was better anyway 
You you wind. This is what you get. I mean, do you think I'd be a good lawyer, actually, Donald, with that kind of attitude? Um, I, I think that a lot of people need to be spoken to quite directly. I pride myself on giving my clients very blunt advice and they're welcome to listen to it. And if they don't listen to it, they're welcome to um, go somewhere else. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm yeah. not. I can't yeah. put it in those terms. I'm regulated, but uh, yeah, they they are <laughs> to go elsewhere is the polite way. You you among the other the many people you've represented, you did Darren Grimes, who I love. Little Darren, young Darren, he's a he's a hero, and the misery he went through, oh. and I'm glad that you were able to help alleviate that. Yeah, I'm I'm helping him uh, in relation to something that's live at the moment, which was. The BBC uh, yet again smearing his name and you know you and I if we get involved during a spat we're old enough and ugly enough to deal with it and God knows you and I have both had various kickings over the years from the cancel culture uh, warriors but Darren is oh. he, he's 22 23 and the poor kid was facing financial ruin and potential imprisonment on the back of the referendum yeah yeah this is one of the things that bothers me about cancel culture that you and I are these well we are like great white sharks you know we're missing some of our, our teeth because we've been we've bitten so many other creatures and we've been attacked we've got scars in our in our scaly skin on our sides and we've just we've been around the block and we're kind of thinking yeah well we, we we've had a we've had a long life and we're not and we, we know how the how the enemy roll and you know we're up to dealing with it but for the younger generation the kind of people that you were training at the YBF, people who people who want to go into conservative politics or to want to articulate conservative views. I worry that this current climate is going to put them off entering the fray in the first place. And also, furthermore, council culture is not going to give them the ability to earn a living and earn enough money to be able to. I mean, you need to survive, you need kind of a degree of fuck off money, don't you? I mean, you've got lots of fuck off money. I haven't, but, I, but I'm all right. Um, but if you're up and coming, what, what incentive is there to to go out and fight the fight in this world which is increasingly controlled by the left? Yeah, I, I, I look back, you know, doing the old fart thing when I was at Southampton University. Uh, what are we now? Uh, almost 30 years ago. Um, I'm bloody yeah. glad they didn't have Facebook and video phones and social media back then, because inevitably I would have said something that would have led to me being cancelled in today's world. And if, yeah. you're, if you are a young, um, you know, gradually coming of age, conservative or libertarian thinking, hold on, this leftist culture that my lecturers and the students union have is, is just wrong. There should at the very least be some conservative speakers or some conservatism on campus yeah you are very yeah. brave nowadays saying that because um there are so few lecturers who'll stand with you there are so few adults at the university who will stand with you in in the administration and you are you risk being the next darren grimes and you know that guy um really has shown himself to be a hero of the movement at a very young age in a way that a lot of mm. other people would just walk off and go i'm not going anywhere near that mm. But, you know, even even at the well, it was a while ago now, the young, young Britons thing. But I remember you you occasionally would invite me up to give pep talks or rousing speeches, if you like, to the to the, to the kids. And I remember even being struck at the time 
that quite a lot of them were really quite career safe even then. They weren't, to be honest, ideologically pure. You know, they, 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 they hadn't done their, their Thomas Sowell 101. They, they, weren't, they weren't really uh, into Mises and Hayek and all the things that I think we really should. They weren't pure. Is that, is that a fair? I, I, look, I, I think that there's a lot of people who get sucked into politics who um, do it because they want a career, and that's wrong. So the advice I give anyone, uh, I gave and would yeah. still give anyone, is go away, make some money, do something with your life. And if you truly want yeah. to go into elected politics, do so when you've got some money, because otherwise you'll be beholden to the whips. But um, what I try yes. people to do is read, think, challenge their ideas, not just with fellow people on our side of the argument, but most importantly, people on the other side of the argument who show some goodwill. Obviously, there's no point debating with a troll, but there are people on the left yeah. and to left who will debate ideas in a fair way. And, and that's the only way you're going to learn is by having your ideas challenged. You're one of the few people, actually, I know that I can have this conversation with because you are you are like me. Um, that you believe, I think, that to be a conservative these days, you know, in the, in the broadest sense, you need to be like a sort of Shaolin monk. You need to dedicate yourselves totally to it. You've chosen the hard path. You've got to crawl up the mountain on your knees to the to the hermit's cave at the top. Um, you've got to you've got to accept that anyone anyone can be a, a liberal lefty and and do really well and, and and never be challenged in their life never never have never have it rough never risk being sacked from their job because hey they've got the the correct opinions but being conservative now especially it's it's hard isn't it well you say that but as with all revolutions the the revolutionaries are eating themselves when you see people like Jermaine Greer um or Peter Tatchell getting attacked from people for not being leftist enough you realize the absurdity of, of this revolution just as all others before it that no one is radical enough for the radical revolutionaries and there's always someone more yeah. radical than you on on our side look you're right there are there are so many safe easy paths to take and you see this government mm -hmm. and Theresa Mays and Dave's before that that will give in to the pressure that the liberal media and the liberal establishment will try and encourage them to do and the minute you dare take a stand on a particular issue, whether it's Brexit, OK, we won that one uh, just about. Yeah. But a whole host of other issues, a whole host of other cultural issues where we're losing. And in large measure, that because what the left are brilliant at, James, is they'll pick us off one by one and knock us out of the battlefield. That you have just alighted on one of my favourite topics and... I think it can't be mentioned often enough, this one, actually. This habit that our bros have, uh, our sissies, I suppose, to a lesser degree, but definitely our bros, they are always far too keen to chuck the likes of you and me off the back of the sledge to feed the wolves in the hope that they can they can escape. We're not very good at, at, at picking up our are wounded from the battlefield and making sure they get home safe, are we? We, we leave them to the enemy. Well, that's 100% true. And I, I got, um, don't, don't cancel this uh, programme immediately, but I, I got a renewed respect for Ken Clark um, in the last uh, couple of weeks because I watched that uh, documentary on 
Mrs. Thatcher and Ken Clark telling the story of when Ted Heath and uh, his chief whip wanted to fire Mrs. Thatcher and um, when she was education secretary and Ken Clark was the education whip and he said no no don't do that because if you do that a she'll be a nuisance to you on the back benches but b it's wrong she's a good minister and Ken Clark actually showed a serious level of cojones to make it clear that he should stand up for someone who was uh, I think it was at the time of the milk snatcher stuff um you know a, a vulnerable person who could have been thrown to the wolves. Our side are atrocious. The first minute there's a chance for the left to pile in on someone, um, there are enough people on our side who'll join in the kicking, in part because they want to aggrandize their own careers and advance themselves, but also if they eat them, then they'll leave me alone. And that's not how it works. The left just keep eating. Yes. Yeah. We could we could name so many names here, couldn't we, Donald? I mean, actually, but we're not going to because... I've got enough enemies as it is, but I really, I have to say, sorry, the reason I'm putting my arms up, by the way, is I've got this, I, I tore a, a muscle in my, um, in my back below my tra trapezium, tra trapezium, yes. uh, that, that, anyway, um, and what it means is that when the, whenever the arm goes down, it pulls on the muscle and just gives me agonizing pain. So I, the only position I can, I, so that, that's why I'm writhing around. It's not because I'm, I'm finding you unpleasant to talk to or... <laughs> <laughs> or because I find this topic uncomfortable. I love this topic. But yeah, squishy conservatives. I mean, it is a bit like the Judean people's front and the popular front of Judea that we hate. Is that is that too strong a word? We. Yeah, I think it probably isn't too strong a word, actually. I think we hate and despise um, people on our own side who've betrayed us more than we we hate the enemy. I mean, I look at the left and I think, well, you're just you're you're prey to. A, I mean, you're you're basically you have a mental illness. Leftism is, I think, a, a mental illness. It's 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 a it's a it's a it's an intellectual deficiency, which I think goes right back to um, the the hunter gatherer stage. I think I think that leftists have not evolved properly. They're still at the stage where where if you kill the mammoth. There's only one mammoth to go round the, the community and uh, and therefore everyone must get their fair share and that's it. They don't realise that the ma in, in modern in modern economies, the mammoth is ever expanding. Uh, <laughs> that digression besides that the left are mentally ill, but but the right people on our side, I think the, the, there are not words strong enough to condemn this behaviour. What do we do about this? You reminded me of that famous uh, occasion where Jeremy Hanley, the former Conservative Party chairman, was giving a speech. I think he'd just been elected to the House of Commons and um, Dr. Ian Paisley was was um, along the benches from him. And he said, oh, I didn't realise you were on our side, Dr. Paisley. And Dr. Paisley said, never confuse sitting on our side, being on your side. And there are lots of people who sit on the same side of the House of Commons as the side that you and I would naturally vote for, who are not remotely on our side, who are doing the left's bidding. I thought for a while it was just people who were Romaniacs and obsessed about Remainer culture, but you're seeing it with mm. people who are just chipping away at Boris. That they're the they're the, the 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 mad, bad, and the sad. They're people who got fired by Boris when he took power or are resenting the fact that they haven't been promoted. That's what drives them. I don't think it's usually principle. I don't think necessarily that they're wets and they hate 
Hayek and Friedman and, and Thatcher and, and all the things that we love. I think it is as petty and pathetic as I'm not in, I'm not part of Boris's gang, therefore I'm going to oppose him. Well, it's interesting you say that. I, I, I would say the problem is even bigger than that. I, for example, yesterday, I don't know whether you saw it, Pretty Patel yeah. made the most, uh, who we would have thought of as one of us, she made the most appalling speech, essentially surrendering to the whole diversity, the, the whole Marxist identity politics game. Um, now, Pretty Patel at one time looked like our new Margaret Thatcher. She's completely sold the past. Why is that, would you say? Um, it's, I think it's what's known as Hannon's first law of politics, which is the moment that a conservative gets the opportunity to wield the levers of power, they cease at that um, point no longer to be a conservative. And so um, it, it is very easy for a weak minister to get captured by their civil servants or, um, yeah. or, or to think, oh, I'm just, I'm just a couple of steps away now from really being able to do something. So I, I remember having a discussion with someone once who, who uh, you know, I worked with and they became an MP and I said, oh, right, here's a chance for you to vote in favour of this tax cut. Well, it's not a simple yeah. old boy. I'm not yet a minister. So just bear with me while I climb the greasy pole. And then they became a minister. I said, here's a chance for you to do this sound thing. Well, old boy, it's not quite as simple as that. I'm not yet in the cabinet. And then they reached the cabinet. It's not pretty. It's someone else. And I had the same discussion. I said, here is a chance. Now is the moment. You are the secretary of state. You are literally the person who decides to do this wonderfully sound thing. Well, old boy, I'm not prime minister and I don't want to upset the prime minister because I might get fired. And there is always yeah. an excuse for them to want a quiet life and to use people mm. like outriders on the right, you know, who are there to be patted on the head as the sort of the, the rather odd uncle who comes over at Christmas and drinks sherry um, before he's even had the scrambled eggs on, on Christmas Day. And you know, that's our role. We're the nutters. We sit over there. We get patronised. And it makes them feel better about themselves um, that they are getting praise from the BBC, The Guardian and all of these people whose praise they should not be seeking. Absolutely. This was very much my experience whenever I used to, in the days when I still used to break bread with the BBC, when I did any questions and I did question time once. And a very common experience for me was... Um, You'd be all matey beforehand with the with the various panelists, including the concert, the, whoever the conservative MP was, who you thought was going to be your ally. But the moment the, the show started, what you realised is that what the conservative MP was thinking is, oh, goody, I've got James Dellingpole on the panel. That means whenever the question, the, the, uh, question comes up, I can position myself to the left of James Dellingpole and win applause from the audience. And I can show that we are not the nasty party and I am a nice person. It's cowardly, sick making. Uh, it, it's feeble you, um, and it's the sort of it's the John McCain style of republicanism. Um, you know, John yeah. McCain was the most popular member of the Republican Party with CNN and New York Times and the Washington Post. Yeah. Um, that should have been a massive warning sign to every conservative activist in the United States that probably he wasn't going to be sound on very many issues. Now we could take yeah. we could take a sort of more genteel 
collegiate approach here, James, and adopt Reagan's 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of a fellow conservative. Um, but of course, mm -hmm. it assumes that a lot of these people are actually conservatives at all. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I may agree with seven or eight out of 10 things that um, you know, a wet Tory says, but actually the other one or two really are the important ones about the size of the state that us being an independent nation and the culture war. Those are the things that matter, truly. Yes. And God, you see, the problem is, Daniel, having you on the podcast, I'm going to have to have you on again because like, there's so much we need to talk about. Um, the culture wars, for example, yeah. the failure of so many conservatives and not just conservative politicians, but also the conservative media, if, if such a thing exists in our country anymore, which I'm not sure that it does. And I'm talking about not just newspapers, but also magazines, which are, which are notionally conservative, which have fought shy of even addressing the culture wars as though it was a kind of peripheral thing that was just going to go away. And really, you know, who cares about what's happening on Twitter? What matters is in the realm of politics. And it was it's it struck me as extraordinary because we're now seeing the fruits of this of this foolishness are we not that the culture wars are real and they have pretty much uh destroyed our culture Look, with, with, with the exception of people like yourself or roger little or claire fox or douglas murray there are very few people who are willing to say things that are um a true but b in the eyes of the left provocative or dare i say unacceptable and I think the reason for that is people want a quiet life. The fear of being cancelled is so, so powerful. And I've had clients come to me who have said or done things online that the left have found unacceptable that has led to them being reported not only to their regulators, but their to, to their employers as well, where they've been fired, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their livelihoods. And you can see why, for the sake of a quiet life, a lot of people will just say, screw this. I'm just going to keep my head down and do exactly what they, the powers that be, the state and their apparatus yeah. want us to do. And you know, the, the march through the institutions begun, you know, 100 years ago, they've succeeded. They now control yes. all the levers of power, ranging from, you know, the church, um, schools, universities, the police, the police service, the, the prison service, you know, the entire... Um, the entire state and all of its organs are now in control of the other side. And you can see why uh, people just want an easy life. And, and what made me feel sick, I think, I, I was away for the first 10 weeks of lockdown, but obviously followed what was going on back here in England, and was the speed with which people were snitching on each other during... during yes. And, and, I, I, it, it just made me feel sick to watch because we'd always told ourselves oh, we could never do what they did in, in uh, France when, when the French capitulated in 1940. We would never have informed on each other. We'd have all been terribly brave. And uh, yeah. I, I think René Artois in Aloha Low was uh, exhibited a greater level of, of braveness than most British people seemed willing to do during the lockdown. I mean, it was shocking the way that people were snitching and threatening to dog people in. Uh and continuing now absolutely i mean this this mask nonsense we're about this we're recording this a day before masks become compulsory in supermarkets and so on and 
a lot of my a lot of my <laughs> i have my mask that, that i will wear tomorrow mainly just to provoke um debate but i mean that, that's ridiculous okay. I, i'm an asthmatic okay wearing a mask isn't great for my breathing at the best of times and i i'm almost spoiling for a fight tomorrow i'll probably go to the supermarket as soon as it opens not wearing a mask just so i can get accosted yeah. wave my asthma inhaler at someone and say i don't have to wear a mask yeah. Um, yeah. but it's, it's frightening. But that's the thing, you're, you're absolutely right. It has empowered a certain type of, oh. of, of person, the kind of person who likes to snitch and snoop. And now somebody who's going to be given the chance to wag their fingers and take the moral high ground and say, you know, you're, 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 you're killing our old and vulnerable, you're irresponsible, you're selfish. And of course, the nudge department, the, whatever the, the sort of black arts propaganda department that seems to have been the one branch of government that actually works, has been so successful in using these kind of psychological techniques to to bring the nation into line, haven't they? By by presenting this as a kind of an issue of selfish people versus people doing the right thing by the elderly, that, it, that the way they formulated it means it's quite hard to fight back. I, I, I got interested in politics when I was nine, back in 1983, and that was the year that the um, compulsory wearing of seatbelts in cars was brought in. And, I, and mm -hmm. I remember at the time, obviously I must have been encouraged in this view by my parents, but I, I remember at the time thinking, whose bloody business is it whether I want to wear a seatbelt in a car? Uh, you know, so there was obviously nascent libertarianism sort of coursing through my veins yeah. at, at a young age. I if there were any evidence that there was a widespread pandemic and I was infected and I was a risk to other people and that wearing a mask would protect every other person from me spreading my filthy germs, then of course, like anyone else, I'm not a dick. I would wear the mask and be yeah. reasonable. Yeah. You know, we, we, we're getting yeah. a couple of dozen real deaths a day. Public Health England, we found out, are, are counting people who once had COVID in February and then died in <laughs> an accident as a COVID death. Um, yeah. And you, you and I, I think, share a view on this, that this has been wildly exaggerated. Don't get me wrong. It's, it, it is horrendous if you get it. And if you get it and you're over 70 or 80 or you've got comorbidities, you're in a bit of a state. But even people mm. who are moderate advanced years are probably going to be all right. And do you know what? Yeah. I also want to live. I want to make the decision about whether or not I'm going to risk myself, just as when I drive shortly, um, am I going to risk killing myself there? Or I'm more likely to die in a car accident being struck by lightning and win the lottery on the same day than I am to get COVID and die from it. Does it bother you? I'm sure it does. This is, this is a, <laughs> it's an open and shut question, this one. Uh, that whereas, um, jolly on fox slayer morn had no problem winning his judicial review against the government when he wanted to derail brexit that when simon dolan tried to uh tried to seek a judicial review against the government for their extraordinarily damaging and and scientifically unjustified lockdown policy it got thrown out of court by the the first judge that examined the case 
I'm not surprised by that because I think the caliber of people who enter the judiciary now is a lot worse than it was 20, 30 years ago. And the reason for that yeah. is it started promoting people on grounds of diversity rather than competence and ability. And to be yeah. correct, if you are a bloody good QC earning one and a half to two million quid a year, why would you give that up? Is that how much they get? Yeah. Um, why, would, yeah. why would you give that up? to go and become a judge earning a tenth of that. And one of one QC I know told me a story that he decided for his civic duty to become a part-time judge. And he attended uh, a hearing and the clerk said, oh, this case has been dealt with so far by Mr. Justice so-and-so, you know, one of his brother judges. And the way he thinks this case should be going is as follows. And my friend said, well, with the greatest respect, I'm now the judge dealing with this. I'll decide how today is going to happen on the basis of the arguments and the evidence before me. And the clerk of the court said, just remember, you're a deputy judge. And it's actually, you know, this isn't really your case. And this guy was so appalled that he said, no, nope. um, he resigned as a judge and returned to being a QC. That wasn't that long ago. And there are too many occasions where I've seen cases go to court, whether they're mine or someone else's, where decisions go bizarrely. And there is almost a predetermined outcome that suits a particular agenda. And, and obviously it was the Supreme Court decision in um, over prorogation of parliament that was the worst example of that. We all knew from the outset. I mean, the Supreme Court never rules 11 to 0 or 9 to 0 or 7 to 0. Yes. Never. Because, again, proper judges would sit there and go, well, there are some arguments both ways and I'll write a dissenting judgment, you know, maybe not of the calibre of the late great Justice Scalia used to, but you know, there'd at least be a dissent. Whatever that judgment yeah. was, 7, 9, 11, nil, you know it was a stitch up from day one. And then um, mm. Elle made it clear that that was the case. She didn't want Remain, uh, she didn't want uh, us to leave the European Union. That's outrageous. That's improper for the judiciary to behave in that way. I do very much get that vibe. I mean, I I grew up probably as you did, thinking that English common law was one of the the greatest adornments to our, our our system. That it was one of the things that made Britain great, and one of the reasons that people like to do business with us internationally because they feel they're not in some kind of banana republic. They they've got this completely fair legal system. I don't get that feeling anymore. I mean, I, I've, I've been most of the court cases I've been to recently have involved Tommy Robinson. I don't I don't know what your view is on Tommy Robinson, but but it, it seems to me I, I very much got the, the the impression that the verdict had been predecided that regardless of how good his I mean, sometimes he didn't get very good, good lawyers, but sometimes he did. But regardless of, of, of how good his case was, they really weren't interested. They knew what the line was going to be. I think in any court situation, judges being busy people and uh, unfortunately looking at things as black and white rather than shades of grey, will try and determine yeah. quite quickly who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. So I, I, yeah. this, is, this is the advice I'll give my clients when they're involved in civil disputes. Our job here is to make you the good guy and so that we get a very quick win on something on this case, might just be an application, but so that in the judge's mind, there's already been a ruling in this case you won it, you're the good guy, uh, and therefore oh. the other guy's bad guy. And, and my job as, as my client's lawyer is, as I call it, um, 
bit like being a duck, you know, above the surface or a swan, maybe above the surface, serene, but underneath kicking furiously because we want to be the reasonable one that the judge goes. Yeah, let's make sure that that's the guy who's going to win this hearing. There are too many situations where it feels that there's a predetermined outcome. You or I, I mean, if you could place bets on court hearings, we'd probably make a fortune because we just go down. To yes. Lad go down to Ladbrokes, put a grand on. Oh, uh, this case involves Tommy Robinson or this case involves this accountant or that lawyer. They're going to lose. Let's whack money on them losing. Oh, there's a surprise. Yet again, the state has wielded its power. And Mrs. Thatcher had a holy trinity, didn't she? Freedom, democracy and the rule of law. And the most important, she said, was the rule of law. And we do not have rule of law in this country anymore to the to the level that you and I grew up believing that we did. Yes. How are we going to get that? In fact, before, before we before you answer that question, um, I don't know whether you follow me on Twitter. I can't remember whether you're on Twitter or not. Um, you are, aren't you? I am. Yes. Uh, I'm a, as you know, I am rather than a rather than a. Yes, uh, you're a lurker. Yes. You're, you're known as a lurker. As you know, I am. Professor Sir James Dellingpole, Doctor, uh, Professor Doctor Sir James Dellingpole QC. Now, one of the things I didn't put after my name was was VC or MC or DSO because it seems to me that those awards have not been tainted. They are still valuable and they are still won through great heroism in extremists. So I wouldn't want to devalue those by putting them after my name when I, I haven't earned them. But I had no qualms whatsoever about calling myself QC because was was Rumpole of the Bailey ever a QC? I can't remember. But but back in the days when Rumpole of the Bailey was on TV, TV and uh, uh, QC really did mean something, didn't it? It was it was a, a, a badge of of accomplishment. You were you were part of the establishment and you were you were a, a force for good. I now look at the QCs on on Twitter and elsewhere. Jo, Jolly and Foxkiller Morn being an example, but that that woman, what's her name? Um, uh, when you mean over at Doughty Chambers, um, Simon. Yes, yes, yes. That that one. Yeah. Um, and I think these are these are political activists. They have very little connection with the with the 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 fair functioning of the law and everything to do with activist politics. Now, how did that happen? Um, because they were desperate to stop uh, the only people who were becoming QCs being um, Old Etonian Oxbridge types, and they wanted to yeah. create a level of diversity. But I think it's more pernicious than that. There has been a movement to make sure that people of non-conservative views it, as we talked about it earlier, the march through the institutions, they needed to make sure yeah. that these people became law lecturers and then some of them became judges and some of them became senior partners in law firms and some of them became heads of chambers so that they could then yeah. in turn bring through other people of like mind and stop people with a more conservative viewpoint, people who take the view that courts are there to apply the laws made by parliament, not to... Yeah law themselves to fit some kind of modern social mores. Um, you know, the separation of powers works wonders in the US. We don't have it as clearly codified here. We should. But in the meantime, what our side should be doing is what the Federalist Society does in the United States, which is identify young lawyers, educate them in principles of the rule of law from our point of view and nurture them through the profession so that we do our own version 
of what the left have done so brilliantly over the last 30 or 40 years? You've answered my question. Um, so we need a federalist society, but that, that is a lot of money, doesn't it? Um, as with all things, they, they require money. There is a nascent organisation um, in this country that brings together lawyers of like minds to try to work for uh, at least holding back the ever-continuing tide uh, towards greater state power and greater regulatory power. But it's a bloody difficult process. And what we don't have in this country that they have in the States are conservative-inclined donors who are willing to give money to fund conservative-inclined projects. They'll give it to the party, which, but they won't give it to conservative yes. causes. Whereas in the States, you know, you, you get your billionaires over there who will support the movement rather than wasting it by giving it to the GOP. Which indeed, all the money I would say that has gone into the Conservative Party, I think has been wasted. I, I mean, the, the Conservative Party has completely betrayed Conservatism. Boris Johnson, you're with me on this, surely. Boris Johnson looked at the disaster that was Theresa May, looked at the disaster that was, was um, David Cameron and said, hold my beer. And, and actually has, has eclipsed them. In, in, in uselessness. He, he, he was, let's be fair to him, he described himself as a Brexity Hezer. Um, he, he has delivered the Brexity bit just about. Um, he's now delivering the Hezer bit. Um, you and I would, would never have been Hezeltinis or Hezeltinians. Uh, it says a lot no. when David Cameron can be described as being a sounder conservative, even, even constrained as he was for five years by the Liberal Democrats than Boris is being on a huge range of issues. You know, things like the abolition of uh, entrepreneurs relief in the last budget, you know, reducing from 10 million down to 1 million, the amount of money that an entrepreneur can take and only pay 10% tax on. That was introduced by Gordon Brown as a policy, right? Because even Gordon Brown realized you need to incentivize entrepreneurs. Gideon increased yeah. it to 10 million because Gideon understood the need for people to be entrepreneurs. And then what does Rishi, mm -hmm. his first budget, listens to HMRC, cuts entrepreneurs relief, and in one fell swoop encourages entrepreneurs to say, well, fuck this, then I'm going to go abroad and become an entrepreneur instead of staying here. That's extraordinary. I, does that, you must, that's, that's your clientele, isn't it, who are, who are being hit by that? Yeah. So you'll hear this firsthand. Yeah, I, there, there are, I have a large number of clients who have decided to up sticks and leave the country because why would you stay here if you are going to get penalised as a business owner? And now what we're hearing is oh, there's going to have to be tax increases. You, know, you and I, I think, probably both realise it's going to be a wealth tax. That's what's going to come in. It'll be set at 1% initially um, of assets of £1 million or more, perhaps, initially. Uh, they might even say if you don't have the money to pay the wealth tax will take a charge against your house uh, until you die or you come to sell the property. Uh, but of course, as with income tax in the Napoleonic Wars, once it's in, it will never go and it will creep up from 1% to 2% to 3% and the million will fall lower and lower. That's what's going to end up happening. So what does one do about that? Where, where, where are the safe havens that one can go to to escape all that? Um, I don't realistically think there are very many because if you remain UK residents, the revenue will get you. Um, your only option is to up sticks uh, and migrate for a period of at least five years, which is what's required. Yeah. 
the usual the usual places the monacos um uh, are, are the places where wealthy individuals will go but what a sorry indictment that it's a conservative government that's driving people out of the country we we would expected this under corbyn you know a whole load of us would have gone jesus right i'm out because corbyn's yeah. one but it's happening under brexity heza yes no i mean i i i find it extraordinary how how tone deaf they are this government how little feeling they have for anything to do with with well not just not just economic conservative values free markets small government and so on but also social conservatism either i mean that 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 pretty patel thing was an example of that that, that conservatives ought to believe that everyone is equal regardless of their of their skin color or their religion or or, or whatever and yet pretty patel was actually arguing that people of some races ought to be privileged by the system given advantages which is you'd expect that from a jeremy corbyn minister right but but then who'd have thought um so many years on from their the, their principal activism that it would be people like you and me extolling uh, martin luther king and actually the post-prison nelson mandela and that it's the left that are damaging statues of mahatma gandhi and abraham lincoln yes. the crying i mean lincoln literally gave his life for the cause of racial equality and yet his yeah. stuff being this defaced and he's being called a racist mahatma gandhi who helped free hundreds of millions of indians from the yoke of imperial oppression as they saw it is tarred yeah. racist as well I, I just find that astonishing and and what's tragic is where are the martin luther kings the people in um you know bame as we now must call them communities who are saying whoa you are not speaking for me. This this woke nonsense is hardcore leftism. You are not speaking for me. What I want is to be treated equally and provided I'm treating equally. Yeah, I might become the next senior partner of Clifford Chance or I might end up as a bin man. Who cares as long as, long as I get a chance? Didn't I read somewhere that, that BAME, B-A-M-E, Black what is it? Black, Asian and minority ethnic or something was actually a coinage of the socialist worker, I think, which has now become government, you know, conservative government parlance. Well, what, Isn't that an extraordinary indictment? of? Right. But if, but if you or I are supposed to use the term BAME rather than black yeah. or, Asian or, or ethnic minorities, or whatever. then why are we talking about black lives mattering? Why are we not talking about Asian and minority ethnic lives mattering? Do they no longer matter? Um, you and I both know that this is in reality a far left uh, agenda that has been captured by well-meaning people who don't want a racist society. None of us want a racist society. But what all of us mm. want is precisely the society that Martin Luther King extolled, which is where, you know, you're judged on the content of your character and not the colour of your skin. Where the hell is that society yeah. now? Mm. Are, you, are you feeling any... Because of your sort of transatlantic uh, you, you, lifestyle, you've got a, you've got a foot in on either side. Uh, are you are you getting any? I mean, I'm worried about Trump. Do you think he's going to win? No. This, are we, no. I, my my money is unfortunately on whoever his opponent is, whether that's Biden or if Biden has a brain fart, someone else. Um, and I think the reason for that is because in June you saw what they did differently in America is everyone got fired, uh, and then in June. Yeah started getting hired again. So you saw two or three million people 
get their jobs back and the economy grew by, I don't know, 10%, let's say, in that month. That's a good news story. And on the back of that, other people were like, oh, this is great. Okay, I'm going to start spending. I'm going to start hiring. And what would have happened during July, August, September and October is the economy would have continued to be V-uptick. More people would have got their feel good. The left cannot risk that happening because Trump's biggest card is I am Mr. Business. The economy did well before coronavirus. Coronavirus hit. And now, look, it's going well again. Re-elect me. Ignore all my crazy shit, but re-elect me. And hey, presto, he gets re-elected. The left, therefore, have to have the narrative that COVID is, um, oh, my God, it's terrible. Um, Infections are going up because testing's going up. And come the 4th of November, when Biden wins on the 5th of November, no one will talk about coronavirus. It will have gone as an issue. Why why could Trump, who's normally quite canny, not see he's been played by the left, by Fauci, by the WHO, by the Democrat governors, by... I mean, it's obvious to you and me, we've, we've been following it. Just, Trump's not stupid. He must have advisors who, who are savvy. So why did he fall for it? Why was he pictured wearing a mask the other day, the idiot? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, look, some of it may be exhaustion on his part. I can't imagine being president's much fun. Uh, and, you know, you do rely on advisors. You do particularly rely on experts. This is Gove's uh, misquoted comment in the referendum that we've had quite enough of experts. Thank you very much. But we've seen what these so-called experts, whether it's Fauci over there or the Public Health England um, clowns over here, they say what is in their own interests. You know, it's in Public yeah. Health England's interest that this pandemic goes on for as long as it can so that their budget continues to swell. Okay, it's in the left wing media's interests that the economy is suppressed in the United States and that Trump loses and that bluntly we keep talking about the disaster of COVID because like Piers Morgan, it just leads more people to watching your show. You're suddenly relevant. When Piers Morgan goes back to talking about, you know, celebrity gossip on Good Morning Britain, no one will watch it. But at the moment, people watch it. They're either going, oh, my God, I'm petrified. The world's going to end. Or it's people like us watching it going, you're a complete ass, And I'm, I, why am I watching? That? And that's the thing. You find yourself watching someone you hate. <laughs> let's let's both wave to, to the trolls who'll be watching this. They will be watching it, yeah. get angry that two right wingers are having a conversation. Why? Why? Why are you finding yourself doing that if you're a leftist? I don't think they'll have got this far because I think so many people are going to be annoyed by my arms going up and down like so like I'm like I'm one of the kind of the damned in hell. And I think, well, actually, having said that, I think a lot of the trolls might enjoy that. I do get that occasionally on Twitter, like, like when I tweeted out how much pain I was in and a couple of people sort of tweeted out to the effect that uh, they hadn't got a violin small enough to show how how little they cared. Um, so this could be a very popular video with um, our enemies. Do you know what, James? You, you uh, something that the, the cruelty of the left is, is I found fascinating. So, you know, these are people who cloak themselves in virtue and assume that they're the good guys and we're the bad guys. And yet we're the ones who will show some semblance of humanity towards people who are in difficulty. We very people on our side very rarely pile in and kick the shit out of one of them when they're in difficulty. Um, let's, let's, no. let's use Derek Draper as an example. So, you know, um, Dolly Draper, left-wing activist in the old days, 
um, married uh, that presenter on Good Morning Britain, um, Kate Garraway. Um, the poor guy's been in hospital in a coma with um, coronavirus mm. for the last eight weeks. Okay, flip that around and imagine that was someone on our side. Let's let's imagine it was you, and it was you that was in hospital in a coma for eight weeks. Because you see what happens when you've just got a bad back. They're sort of piling in and hoping yeah. it's the first signs of you know bone cancer or something, and they they hope back right. They, they, they hope you're dead within weeks. Um, that's what would yeah. be happening. And you saw it when Mrs. Thatcher died, the glee, the utter glee, these these sordid parties that took place in um, some cities uh, uh, around the world. And I've, I've never understood it. Um, I've never understood the utter hatred that the left have for anyone on our side and the contrast on our side that we look. The left are wrong. I think intellectually they're wrong. Do I think that all of them automatically are evil? No. Do I think there's a couple of very evil ones on the left? Yes, obviously. But am I sitting there stewing with anger, you know, literally spitting and unable to contain myself, bashing away hate-filled things, trying to get people fired or cancelled? No. And that's the difference. We're the good Yes, I, 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 think, I think it's partly that, that people like you and me are really interested above all in ideas. And... If a good idea comes from somebody, no matter who they are, whether we we absolutely whether whether previously we've thought of them as as just kind of completely wrong and ghastly, uh, we will always applaud them and always take their side if they are speaking the truth. So Graham Linehan, for example, Graham Linehan, the guy who co-wrote Father Ted, one of the nastiest, most aggressive and unpleasant people on Twitter who was constantly orchestrating pylons, just really cruel. And I mean, I could tell you a story, but I, but I won't. So I don't want to kind of uh, bring it out into the air again. But it was really unpleasant. And the moment that he found himself embroiled in a turf war, you might call it, where he he argued that that that, you know, in order to be a to be a woman you had to possess you know a vagina and so on and you know he, he he got on the wrong side of the transgender people um i was fully supportive of him i wasn't you know i wasn't thinking ah oh, yeah well serves you right getting a taste of your own medicine i was thinking yeah poor chap but that's the key you see in the states when it was first founded the american civil liberties union would defend people across the board on on issues of free speech mm. now now they don't um, you know, it falls to new organisation. Toby Young's uh, free speech union is an attempt to try and enter this sphere. You know, the left have public yeah. interest law firms who see it as their goal to engage in lawfare as a form of political warfare. Mm. On our side, mm. we don't do that. I mean, th th there are very few lawyers like me. I mean, obviously, I have a commercial practice, which is what generates income. But I will at least act for people on our side who are engaged in difficulties because there's no one else out there to do it. What we need is a broad based movement of conservative and libertarian lawyers who are willing to try and fight back, even though obviously we disagree with the concept of lawfare. For as long as it's there, we need to be on that battlefield. And then part of our argument must be to get rid of judicial activism, to get rid of politicization of the judiciary in one direction and to make sure we really have a rule of law again. I agree. Is what you're describing likely or possible? Um, 
I think it is, but it is very difficult to do while people remain in the profession. So bearing in mind, I mean, I get loads of emails and things from my regulator, very few of which are actually relate to the law, but um, there's lots of things about trans rights and the rights of disabled lawyers and um, quotas in law. Yeah. It'd be nice if my um, trade body, for want of a better phrase, and regulator, actually focused on what actually matters to consumers and clients and yes uh, and and defends the interests of the legal profession if that's if you have a trade body that's what it's there for uh, and it's yes. most, most things in life the pendulum's gone too far 20 30 years ago was the legal profession prejudiced against people from alternative backgrounds probably now is it yeah. the other way that it's now too prejudiced in their favor and against uh, against other people's interests Yes. And like most pendulums, it needs to find a balance. But in that, that pendulum needs to be pushed back towards the middle. Otherwise, it's going to permanently stay on one side. And that side is is not right. Yes. But you see, I don't see how it will happen. So take the example of the various London chambers. Um, back in the day, it used to be a bit like Oxford and Cambridge colleges where there would be, for example, when I was at university, there were there were sound colleges like the house where I was. And there were really unsound colleges like Hartford and um, and Wadham. And the, the, the Cambridge had the same. I think Peterhouse was immensely sound. And, but uh, so, so if you were if you were a sort of hearty type or you were conservative, you'd go to one of the sound colleges. And if you were a, you wanted to destroy Western civilization, you'd go to you obviously end up at Wadham. This is no longer the case. And I, and I fear it's rather the same with London chambers that even even the crustiest chambers with with sort of uh, QCs who went to Westminster and, and Eton and, and so on they're they're sort of our age or older now and they're thinking well i'm coming close to retirement i really don't i really don't want to rock the boat at this point i can that th there are th the way the wind's blowing it seems to me that i need to get somebody from a, a b-a-m-e background and I, I must reject all the etonians who apply for this for this position in my chambers if even the sound chambers are doing that how can there ever be because once these these activist lefty types are in there, they're not going to start recruiting Etonians, crusty Etonians, are they? They're going to go on recruiting more and more leftists. And so how do we have a reverse long march through the institutions? I, I think it's something that's going to take probably 10 to 20 years at least of identifying um, young people who at least believe in the rule of law and not advancing a political gender that is um, monochrome. In, in design and we find a way of helping those people get into law firms, get into chambers, if they have to be sleepers to do that for a while, in the same way that the left were for, for generations, they're going to have to do that. But we need a balanced legal profession. We need a legal profession that actually believes first and foremost in the rule of law and not in using the law to engage in politics by other means. The irony is that the way that the left have conducted the culture war over the last 10, 15 years led to Brexit, it led to Trump and it led to Boris Johnson winning. And it's it's ironically led to the rise of populism as a reaction to the left's utter intolerance of more mainstream 
culturally conservative, socially conservative viewpoints. So by they overreached, they've given birth to this movement of populism and sort of Trumpism and Johnsonianism in, in you know, that sense uh, during the Brexit and, and the you know, Dominic Cummings' approach to politics, which is not, not the same as, as Boris Johnson's. Um, but we just need to find these people and help get them into the profession. It's what the left do brilliantly. We need to do the same. It's the only way it will change. It's a long process, James. Because I always believe that ultimately m markets and the truth, and the way markets are, are, are a reflection of the truth, would be our salvation. So, for example, in your case, you're a, an out, completely out conservative lawyer. Um, representing the kind of people who've been shafted by this council culture, among other things. You, 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 help, you help people who are victims of the left. Now, in these times, it ought to be a field day for, for lawyers uh, of your persuasion, no? I mean, you ought to be rewarded massively financially and there ought to be an incentive for more, market, for more lawyers to come onto the market of your persuasion. Does it work like that? Maybe I need to use crowdfunding or Patreon um, as means of raising money, because the problem is, of course, um, for every poor student who finds themselves being victimised on campus, they haven't got any money. Um, yeah. The university that's victimising them has a shitload of money and you already yeah. start inequality of arms. Um, I'll, I'll use it in the example of regulators. If, if you are regulated by the FCA or, or any other regulatory body, and you beat your regulator in regulatory proceedings. So bear in mind, your regulators yeah. destroy your, your right to practice. If you beat your regulator, yeah. you don't get your costs. So you've got regulator, no. pockets, you've got little old you, the regulated individual. You only get your costs against your regulator if the regulatory investigation has been, quotes, a sham from start to finish. Which is, as you might imagine, quite a difficult test. So what I would happens, say. Right. So what happens there is people are too scared to go up against their regulator, their master, because they know that if they do, even if they win, it's going to have cost them five to 10, 20, 30,000 pounds that they'll never get back. Whereas the regulator knows it can just throw as much money. This was the problem with the Electoral Commission. This is the problem with the Charity Commission, HMRC. All of these bodies have way more power than the nationalised industries had back in the day. So we sit there thinking, oh, we won, we privatised everything. Well, we didn't. They've got more power regulating private companies than they ever had nationalised trying to run the buses and the, the GPO and all the rest of it. Yeah. Do you remember David Cameron telling us he was going to have a bonfire of the Quangos? Well, whatever happened to that? Um, I, I think a Quango came and told him to put the fire out because it was polluting the environment. Defended <laughs> the environment. Agency. Yes. Someone someone came out and levied a fine and uh, he, he was cancelled. So uh, he, he wasn't able to start that bonfire or it was put out very quickly. Um, that's what needs to happen. A, a true bonfire of the Quangos. And just a all we ask for is a level playing field. If a regulator comes after you and the regulator loses, they should pay costs just as any normal person would, because otherwise the state and organs of the state have a grossly disproportionate level of power than you know, the poor sod citizen does. That's why I say we don't, yeah. we don't have a real sense of justice or rule of law in this country at the moment. 
And also, we haven't mentioned these two massive elephants in the room, uh, the Equalities Act and the Human Rights Act, right. which seem to render this country, I mean, systematically incapable of doing anything conservative because automatically the, the presumption is in favour of left-wing causes. Well, and, and then, of course, it's very easy for us to say, ah, oh, with Brexit, we can have our own um, Bill of Rights. If we try and sit, you know, you and I can sit down and write a Bill of Rights. Actually, all we need to do is to get a photocopier and to photocopy the US Constitution and pretty much start from there and, and use that as, as the template. But if you try and sit down Ooh, now... Let's have the, we have the guns as well. Uh, yeah. Um, well, can we have the Second Amendment? Yeah, well, we, we, we did have um, the right to guns and they were obviously taken off us after Hungerford and Dunblane. And when you explain that to Americans, they find that soul-destroying. Um, but... If we tried to write a Bill of Rights now, it would contain, you know, the, the right to um, uh, transgender surgery as a child, the right to free housing, the right to free food, um, you know, a whole yeah. series of things that are literally unaffordable. They are not basic human rights that should be guaranteed yeah. by the state and paid for by other taxpayers. So we are stuck with the Human Rights Act. Um, the best we can do is have judges, if we get decent judges, applying that in the context of what it was agreed in 1950 when the European Convention was, was um, written. Yes. Can I just ask you, because um, I, I, I loved your politically incorrect point early on about, about, um, about the quality of judges. Do you think the calibre of, of lawyers has, has plummeted now that people are not chosen purely for their kind of fine legal minds, but on for reasons of diversity or gender or sexuality or whatever? I think that a lot of people I know who were at university with me, you know, 25, 30 years ago, have left the profession because, again, why stay within a regulated environment where if you make one small mistake or say the wrong thing, you're cancelled, um, when you can yeah. often earn a fortune as a management consultant or a hedge fundee or, or a private equity person? So a lot of very bright, good people who would have entered the profession 25, 30 years ago have left it and gone on to do something more lucrative that's less hassle and you don't have to work as hard in an environment where you're banging your head against your desk because the outcome may be predetermined against you. Yes. So you're a man of, man of, the, of, of the rich world. Where people like us who want to make money and don't want to be subject to kind of politically cor correct codes and stuff um, and, you know, HR departments inflicting uh, diversity on them. Is that where they go? Private equity and, and hedge funds? Are those kind of immune to that to that uh, PC interference? Uh, there's obviously regulation from, from the SEC or, or, or the FCA in the UK, but I get the impression that life's a lot more fun doing something in that kind of environment than something like the legal profession. I try and dissuade people from entering the legal profession because it's not yeah. what they think it is going to be when they come into it. it it's a, it's yeah. a deeply unpleasant experience and we need to find more good people who want to come in. Donald, I would very happily continue this conversation for another hour, but my arm is giving me hell. So that. if I might, so what I'm going to say is, Donald, please come back on the podcast. I've loved having you on. And to all you lovely, dear listening people, don't forget, if you want early access to my podcast, 
don't forget to support me on Patreon or Subscribestar. You also get access to my weekly, weekly note, not my spectator column, which is which is really good. Um, and you get to hang out with like minded people. And probably I might have a party one day for the for the for the bigger spending patrons. And um, yeah. Um, oh, and Jeremy, you're a patron, aren't you? I've forgotten about I that. Am. I am. I look forward to seeing you at that party. Yeah. Excellent. Good. All right. Thank you very much. Um, and um, keep keep sticking it to them, Daniel. Okay, bye.